Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. The Super Bowl of Christianity is upon us. The foundation of all that it means to be a follower of Jesus, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want to learn more about what that means, and we can't do it without our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> Greetings, everyone. I'm honored that you are here with us today. I'm going to be talking about my favorite subject in all of Christianity, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. Well, the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Paul even says that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. The The title of our current series is What Would Jesus Say? We're looking mm-hmm. at what is going on in our world today and attempting to see what Jesus would actually say in these situations. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to be talking about what Jesus would say to you, the audience, to me, to Pastor Doug specifically, and simply meaning what is his message to each of us as individuals? First and foremost, you know, the mission of Jesus is to call individuals into a relationship with himself through redemption. The Bible calls this salvation. And the resurrection of Jesus was an act of an individual, Jesus, and it's designed to say something directly to you, an individual. So in essence, the resurrection is a highly personal invitation from God to you. Jesus not only came to save the world, but he came to save you. So the resurrection is God's message to you in a very specific way. So what specific text are we going to be looking into today um, that deals directly with the resurrection and its messages to each of us as individuals? Well, we're going to talk about John chapter 11, verses uh, 17 through 43 in particular. The whole chapter is about when Jesus loses a very close friend to death, and then he raises him from the dead, and it is the story of Lazarus. Well, let me read the first part of this story in John 11, beginning with verses 17 through 20. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Well, I think the the first thing about this story is a little background, and that is is that if you read in the earlier in the chapter, is they sent a note to Jesus saying a message to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is really sick, would you come? And Jesus didn't come right away. He waited. And now he finally shows up. And I think the thing is, is that we see that Lazarus has not only died, but been dead for four days. He's been in the tomb. And so I think it starts off in this particular situation that the, the the imagery is that we live in a world of death. Mm. We really do. Regardless of how good things are going for you in your own life personally, you still have to deal with death. Our world is harsh, it's cold, and it isn't here to treat you fairly. And it is going to throw you curveballs and challenges. It's going to bring tragedy into your life personally, that of your loved ones, maybe your kids or your grandkids. Uh, your neighborhood, your 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 country, uh, the globe. Uh, it's just a cold, hard thing called life. And life has always had a way of beating people down. And this is what 
um, I refer to as the culture of death. And it's not just the values and principles that people in the culture and society can adopt. It's just life in general. I mean, Mother Nature is not a benevolent mom. You know, Mother Nature is always trying to kill us. And Lazarus fell sick. He got an illness and then he died. Now, what's interesting is this, this is a true story. There was a Lazarus, and he had sisters who loved him, and he knew Jesus. He actually got sick, and he died. But I think the other question extends beyond the specifics of Lazarus is how does what happened in Lazarus's life apply to you and apply to me? In the same way, we have an illness like Lazarus. It's a toxin that runs through every fiber of our being and through the reality in which we live. And this something has the power to destroy us. Paul describes it in Romans where he says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we are in a culture, in a reality that is overshadowed at every step of the way by death. And that's what's hard for us sometimes to grasp. I think we know that in our spirit, but in the end, we all face death and we see death constantly all around us. And if we uh, uh, try to deal with death on our own, apart from the resurrection, it just is ineffective. And you see this in man, human beings, constant struggle And so that's why the resurrection is so important because the resurrection has the power to heal us from the effects of this culture of death, whereas nothing else does. Well, let's keep reading and see what kind of happens next in verses 21 through 27. Uh, It says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who has come to come into this world. Now, Uh, We'll stop right there because the second thing here is we see in the story of Lazarus how God views this painful situation called life that we are in and how it always results in death. And he has tremendous compassion and mercy for how this world treats people. You know, the world treats people poorly. And it always has. It's not fair. It's not a a really great place. Sometimes we can carve out a little place of paradise, you know. I mean, we live in Idaho, you know, the old cliche, you know, hey, my own private Idaho, uh, that maybe we can find a little bit of heaven here on earth. But in the end, those things are always so temporal. Mm. And something comes in to interrupt it at some point in some way. And I think what's really fascinating is Martha says to Jesus, hey, uh, you know, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't die because they'd seen Jesus heal people physically. And then Jesus says, well, your brother will rise again. And Martha then misunderstands, I think, what Jesus is saying because she's like, well, I kind of know that. You've taught us about you're going to prepare a place for us. Well, but I think her misunderstanding is pretty 
understandable. Yeah, you like, can understand. He's, <laughs> she's probably not like, oh, he's going to bring him back. Like, yeah. that's probably not even in the realm of thought yeah. for her, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. You know, so she kind of, she thinks, oh, he's referring to the resurrection from the dead, the afterlife at heaven, you know. And he, and what's interesting is this is how Jesus responds. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And I like that he does both because it's like, it's not just the act of resurrection, but also the life yeah. after, right? Like, yeah. isn't, I, I don't know. You were probably going to talk about that. I just like <laughs> reading that phrase. I'm like, oh man, I don't know that I've ever seen that yeah. in, when I've read it before. Well, it's not just after life, it's life now. Right. You know, he is life. And so the answer to the pain of life is Jesus. His resurrection is life. Nothing in this world is sufficient to overcome the devastation of death around us except for Jesus. Nothing is, you know, capable of helping us navigate this world reality of death and sin and brokenness and disease and pestilence and all of these things except Jesus. And we know that because of his resurrection, because he is the resurrection and he is the life. So let's keep reading. Um, verses 28 through 32 say this. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When G Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, so the first thing we notice is that Martha says, Lord, if you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. And then Mary comes out and says, Lord, if you had been here, are they frustrated? Are they blaming? <laughs> Are they doing a little bit of both? They're going through a grieving process, right? Yeah, so. and there's an expectation. And I, I think their expectation is if you would have come when we asked and he was still alive, we could have averted this. And now we start to see the power of the resurrection here. This is really unique, and I want everybody to really understand this. And that is, I would like to point out that what the sisters were doing is if you would have intervened sooner, this would not have happened. And this tells us the difference between knowing about Jesus and then knowing the resurrected Jesus. There is a difference. Mm. Paul describes in Philippians, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. All too often, we know about Jesus, and we want what we know about him to save us from the difficulty in this life. We begin to look at uh, Jesus as our get out of suffering card. You know, it's like, well, if Jesus would show up and do his thing because that's his job, then I'm not going to suffer. Things aren't going to go poorly for me all the time. However, what we don't realize is this robs us of knowing the power of his resurrection because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Instead of focusing on the resurrection, the, the new life that comes from death, we try to avoid death or pain or suffering at all costs. No matter what it costs, we want to avoid it. 
That means this, we don't want any pain. We don't want any suffering and we don't want anything to go poorly in our life. We don't want any bad things. Well, when we think this way, we think as children, not adults. The resurrection is God's answer to evil. I've said that to so many people and they go, yeah, so what? It doesn't make, doesn't make my suffering go away. Well, that I'm sorry to say, here's the salty pastor. You're thinking like an infantile child. You, you don't understand the cancer that's infected your soul called sin and how it's destroying the way you think. It destroys what you feel. It, it influences your relationships. It's a culture of death all around you. In, in the midst of that death, all you're trying to do is say, I don't want more one dead thing around me. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I don't think you understand the power of the resurrection because I take this soil of death in which you exist and I birth life out of it. And that's the answer to evil. That's the answer to suffering is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I personally, I want to know more about the power of his resurrection and how his resurrection works in my life. I want to know Jesus Christ that was raised from the dead. I just don't want to know facts or details about Jesus or what I think he stands from or for. I want all of Jesus, not just the Jesus that I made up in my mind that's supposed to help me solve my problems. What I have to realize is that my life without Jesus is dead. And then and only then will I start to understand the life that he actually gives me and brings into me through the power of his resurrection. That's very powerful. Yeah. Um, why don't we keep reading? Uh, verses 33 through 37 say this. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, the, come and see Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. That's that shortest. Is that the shortest one? Shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. And it's one of the few places, you know, almost the only one where it actually records him weeping. Right. shedding tears. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But then some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So you're starting to see, you know, I broke it down in these chunks. So you're starting to see this recurring theme. If you would have shown up when you're you supposed to, if you would have done what I wanted when I asked you to do it, then yeah. we would have avoided all of yes. this. Yeah. And what's interesting is, is when reading the story, there's no way around the simple fact that Jesus, who is God, is really moved. He's very concerned. He weeps over the pain and suffering of physical death and everything that brings about death. If you go back in the Old Testament and you read the fall of man, what you're going to do is you're going to really understand is that when sin entered into the world, death entered into the world. So, so physical death is a manifestation of everything that is wrong with this world. It, we see physical death as the manifestation of the power of sin. Paul says this in Romans when he says, for the wages or the outcome, the sum of sin in this world, its imperfection, the fact that evil exists. It says, the wages of sin is death. 
And so that's why Paul says, as you said earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is that if we don't believe in the resurrection, then our faith is in vain because we don't really believe anything that has any power to it. So I often wonder, looking back where it says he wept over this, I often wonder if this is the situation that Jesus reflected on when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mm. and he's like sweating droplets of blood because he knows what's coming, and he's like, man, let this cut pass from me. And then he says, not my will, but your will be done. I wonder if, you know, he looked back and thought of this situation where he faced the death of his good friend, Lazarus, and and saw the pain that it caused in everybody's life. It's It's just so true and real, but also symbolic of the pain that evil brings to every human being and how devastating it is. He weeps over that. And it says, see how he loved him. And that's God's message to you is that, you know, the, the, the thing is that God isn't trying to, to stop every bad thing to you. He's trying to save you from all the effects of all the bad things that happen to you. That's such a much better Answer And so did Jesus think back to this situation with Lazarus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane to remind himself, this is what I came to overcome. I came to conquer this, and that's why the resurrection is the best answer to evil. Well, let's finish this out, um, verses 38 through 44. Um, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you would always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with the strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wow, what a, what a powerful ending to this situation. You know, take off the clothing of death and be free. Mm-hmm. As the story progresses, Jesus asked them, uh, take me to the grave, roll back the stone. I think it's interesting. They're reluctant to comply because if he would have gotten there earlier, you know, in the first day or two, the spices would have covered up any ensuing odor coming from a decomposing body. If he would have come a year later and they rolled the stone back, it would be eviscerated and it wouldn't smell. But right now it is in the height of its most odoriferous point. Mm you know, four days in the grave. But he says, you must believe they roll the stone back and he issues one command. And that's what's so amazing, I think, about the power of God is it's not this big speech. He just says, Lazarus, come out. That's it, just come out. And this is the power of redemption. This is the power of the resurrection illustrated for us right here. It happened in a real way in the life of Lazarus, it's recorded in the Bible so that we see how it applies to you and to me and every individual. Instead of seeing this as um, uh, enemy territory, instead of seeing this world, this reality in which we live as enemy territory, 
often we see this world is is a paradise. You know, it's supposed to be fair and it's supposed to be honest and God's on the throne. And so uh, his will reigns supreme here. And whenever things don't go well, then God's not doing his job. Therefore, in our immaturity, in the way we view it, we are upset with God. We're angry when bad things happen. You see it in the story. If you would have shown up, if you would have done your job, you know, if you would have been kind, more kind or more loving or more compassion, passionate as a God, this wouldn't have happened because we're frustrated that he's not more active and making justice come to fruition. We raise our fists to God and we scream at him as being, oh, you're so unfair and unloving. When we see things like children being ruined and destroyed by cancer, we see children being abused or, or neglected. We, we see people being uh, trafficked you know, through human trafficking. We see the ravages of drug addiction. It destroys individuals in, in relationships and lives. We see the abuse of evil ideologies of nations and countries, you know, like, like Myanmar right now, how it just, you know, murders and kills their own people. However, in our, our screaming at God, we fail to see that the rock from which we shake our fists at him in heaven is the rock of our own making. Because when you strip it all away, friends, you need to understand it's us and us alone that made the world evil. We cursed the earth. God did not curse the earth. We created this as an enemy stronghold. We are the ones who betrayed righteousness. We are the ones who invited the enemy within our gates. And he became the Lord of this realm at our invitation. So how does Jesus save a people like this? Do you understand now the phrases in the Old Testament and even the phrases of Jesus where he says, these are a stiff-necked people. When we stand on our rock and hurl our fist at God for being unjust, how does Jesus save a people like this? How does he change the equation? Well, he does it by the resurrection from the dead. Well, no one seems to say this anymore. I mean, it's as, it's as if we want all the salvation without any of the judgment, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, come fix my problem, but don't, don't talk about how I got myself into this or how we did it. I just yeah. want you to fix it for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the world kind of blames God for its predicament and then expects God to fix it in the way they deem yes. most appropriate. Yes. Um, they don't want the resurrection. They, we just want the freedom from the death that we caused. Yeah, and I, you know that that's yeah, that's a great way to put it is we don't want resurrection. We just want to be set free from the death that we caused. What what I find interesting in this story is this. Lazarus died a second time. You know, Lazarus right. isn't he's, living. He's not still living. Today, yeah, he's right? not living in a condo in the Golan <laughs> Heights right now. Just saying, I'm, in the, yeah, I'm 2,100 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, if he was, we'd get some great, accurate history from that guy, right. wouldn't we? But he died a second time. But guess what? His second death is not recorded in the scriptures at all. There's no mention of it. Here's something else. None of the deaths of the apostles is recorded in the scriptures. How do we find it? Have you ever wondered why that would be? I mean, it's kind of interesting. None of it is recorded. And, and you think about uh, 
the apostle John was the youngest apostle, probably about 16 years of age when Jesus was crucified. He lived the longest. Uh, so they say that the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, was recorded on the Isle of Patmos somewhere between AD 90 and AD 95. So by that time when he recorded the book of Revelation, the apostle Peter had been uh, martyred. The apostle Paul had been martyred. Many of the other apostles had been martyred. When Jerusalem fell, many of the leaders and elders of the Jerusalem church uh, were martyred or killed. And so these people were dying. And yet it's really fascinating is that John doesn't record that as a significant event in the book of Revelation at all. Why? Why is it that the earthly death of the apostles is not in the New Testament or the death of Lazarus is not in the New Testament? Have you ever wondered why? Well, could it be it's because their earthly deaths were not a big deal? Because they were going somewhere better? Yeah, but, but also they, they, it was a real thing. They saw the resurrected Jesus. So, so it's, it's a, there's a, a statement in one of the Gospels that says, Blessed are those who have never seen and yet still believe. But just think about these first century apostles. See, they saw Jesus. They saw him die on the cross. And then they saw him eating fish for breakfast with them on the shore. Right? So, so the New Testament, obviously inspired by God, doesn't see earthly death as a big a deal as we see it, okay? They didn't uh, feel or think that death was the ultimate barrier. And because of that, their attitude towards suffering and persecution and sickness and illness and all of these things totally changed, so their goal was not to avoid suffering or avoid illness at all. They simply saw death as a passing away, a falling asleep, a walking through a doorway into another existence. It's a passageway, something that the soul has always longed for throughout its entire existence up into that point. So I think that's a significant point to realize the power of the resurrection totally changes your perspective about every bad thing that you suffer in your life. Mm. So are there any other final takeaways you want to leave us with before we wrap up for the day? Well, I think that what Jesus would say to you is that the power of his resurrection is a clarion call. It is, it is a single sound on the horn it, that just screams loudly very specific things. And the world wants you to not be able to recognize it. And here's what it says. It says, at its core, you are a spiritual being. You have a soul. Now, we're not pre-existent souls, but that in, you know, in Scripture it says, a man shall leave his mother and father, he shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And we see that two people fall in love, become one, but there's, it also results in the bringing and creation of life. This is the one thing that human beings are co-creators of living souls with God, mm. you see. And so, so because of that, these souls come into existence, and we are spiritual 
beings. The resurrection says how we live, the choices we make, actually have a huge difference in the here and now as well as in eternity. So that basically means that you matter. You, your decisions matter. The way you choose to live matters. Your morality, your code of honor, your approach to life matters. The resurrection says to you specifically that uh, you, uh, all the ways that we have created as human beings to prepare and experience the great beyond, the, the afterlife, eternity, are insufficient, not only for eternity, but for here right now. Human beings come up with all these ways to affirm our lives, to try to give value to our lives, but they're completely insufficient. Because they're tainted with the culture of death, the reality of death in which we exist. The only thing that can surpass it, has the power to break its influence, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It brings about new life, even in the soil of death. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ says... Everything you need to know about God, his heart, his character, his honor, his motivation, his mission, his plan is in the resurrection. You see, his, he's moved and, uh, about the destructive aspect of the culture of death, the reality of death in which we live. He came to address it specifically. And even in the moment of the greatest devastation, the greatest odor, the point where it's the worst time to open the grave, he opens up the grave and says, come forth. And there we find new life. That power, that strength only happens because of the resurrection. That's why it's the Super Bowl of church. That's why it is the foundational belief of all Orthodox Christianity over the last 2,000 years. And so, therefore, when we celebrate, we're not just celebrating a win, you know, right. in the next year. We are celebrating the ultimate win, the ultimate victory. And that, my friend, is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the one thing we want to know no matter what. Some very powerful points, Pastor Doug. Uh, we're going to wrap up for today. Um, just before we do, I just want to encourage you guys, make sure you make a plan for this Resurrection Sunday, um, mm-hmm. this Easter weekend. We have a lot of offerings here at Foothills. We're doing a worship night on Friday here at 7 to 8. We're partnering with Revive Church and Boise Community Church to do a night of music. Um, pastor Harv and the other pastors from those other churches are going to share some insights um, throughout the music. Uh, Saturday is mm-hmm. an Easter egg hunt, which is going to be super great. We've got age divisions for the kids, so they're not fighting me for the <laughs> eggs, uh, which I think is unfair, but fine, whatever. <laughs> fine, whatever. Um, and there's going to be popcorn and coffee and donuts and all kinds of stuff for that. And then finally, obviously, Resurrection Sunday, we're offering three services, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Um, there will be no um, child care or FH kids provided during the first service. Um, there will be nursery, but that's it. Um, so if you've got little ones, it might behoove you to come to those later ones. And yeah. you probably don't want to get up that early on a Sunday anyway, so it might be in our In you. our online campus, we're going to be having a uh rebroadcasts or premieres of the service you know in the evening i think we're going to have one at like five o'clock one at seven o'clock one at nine o'clock so that you can uh 
if you're down in Scottsdale or you're down in San Diego area or in the Reno area or, or anywhere else that participates in our online campus, you can call your family together. These are all mountain standard times. Mm. Uh, you can call your families together and plan around those. Uh, those are going to be great services as well. So we just want to invite have you Have Easter those. dinner and then sit yeah, down and watch the absolutely, service. Absolutely, absolutely. So there's good. lots of offerings and lots of opportunities for you to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll see you on Thursday. Blessings.